Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yes, all is well in the shed. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. We've had a, a few sunny days. It's been the Swansea 10k Bay run here today. So couldn't get near the roads on the front, but it's quite nice to see all the people getting their medals and looking very fit and active. Yeah, I like it. I like to watch saying 10k and I've done a few and it is great when people come out and watch and cheer everybody on. I, I quite enjoy that. Yeah, it's, it's a nice thing to see. It's very sort of public spirited, I think. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I love it. So it sounds like you're having a good time and then down by the sea. Absolutely. You know, even though it's September now, it's getting a little bit chillier. It's still nice to be by the seaside. Yeah, all right. Rub it in, why don't you, as I'm in landlocked Gloucestershire. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. So here we are. We're on Awake from Sleep, episode 35 for the 19th of September, 2022. Shall we get straight into it? May as well. So straight into follow-up. I didn't, I said I was going to, and then I didn't. I didn't put the picture of my old dive computer, the Suntos solution, into the show notes. So I'll make sure I do that this week, just because I had one person who listens to it to us come along and tell me, I want to see this ancient dive computer of yours, and then I didn't have it. So I will make sure it goes into the show notes this week. Perfect. I did look at it while we were recording. I've, yeah, it looked like you'd expect 90s tech to look, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that's more than fair enough. Hey, it saved my life, though. I didn't I didn't get the bends or anything while I was at it, so it did the job. Fair enough. All right, should we get into our iPhone follow-up then? I think so. So the first bit's from me, and it's from watching a couple of the reviews of the iPhone 14. And I know you're going to give us your personal follow-up of the iPhone 14 Pro later, but this is just sort of my impressions on looking at it. And I'll, I'll watch The Verge's reviews, I'll watch Marcus Brownlee's, I'll make a little note to put them in the show notes as well if people are interested in where that sort of information is coming. I haven't held one in my hand as of yet, it must be said. But my takeaway from it is that the 14 isn't that much change from the 13, really, which wasn't that much change from the 12, really. And there are things in it that are better, like I think the crash sensor, for you know, they went big on for car crashes and things like that, and automatically dialing people is good. I think the better camera on the front with the autofocus is quite a big deal, and, and that's good. The satellite things, if you're in America or Canada, seem to be pretty good. We don't get that in the rest of the world yet, and no announcement as far as I'm aware when that's coming. And in America, at least, there's no SIM card tray, but fundamentally, it uses the same display as what it did in last year's and that means it uses the same display of, of, of the year before same brightness same resolution you know it's a, it's an okay display it's fine it's good enough but it's not particularly great it's essentially the same processor of what we've had uh, last year which means it was a little evolution of what was the year before fair enough but it's got one activated gpu is the only difference between this year's iphone 14 and what came before so frankly if you were on an iphone 13 I wouldn't be thinking about upgrading to an iPhone 14. And frankly, if you're on an iPhone 12, I'm not sure you should be thinking about upgrading to an iPhone 14. Older than that, battery problems, fine. But that would be my sort of consumer advice is if you're on one of those phones, stick with it. What do you think? No, I completely agree. I think this is the year where they're trying to drive a bigger wedge between the Pro and the non-Pro phone. And so it's a bit of a dull year for the 14. But I think next year it will be better for the regular site the regular phone because it will be more in a lockstep of progressing each year whereas i think they've had to have this year as a break year to drive the wedge in and then it will i reckon stabilize and so next year you'll get a better chip and you'll probably get some of the other stuff filtered down from the iphone 14 pro maybe you'll get dynamic island i think it will filter down but who knows when and i was having the same conversation with my wife who's got an iphone 12 regular size regular model and she said, oh, you know, should I get a new phone? And I was like, I don't think you should. I think you should just wait another year. And I get a year's a while to wait. But she has got some noise. She's making some noise about her battery not being fantastic. And it is two years old. She's used it a lot. 
But I think if she could wait a year, next year would be her year to, to get an upgrade. And it'd be more of a meaningful upgrade because I think if she went and bought one now, she probably wouldn't be able to tell a difference if she put it in the same case that she's got. No, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, that we have still in the house my two daughters, one who's an iPhone 11, one who's an iPhone 13. And there isn't that much difference between the 11 and the 13, frankly. So as exactly the same as your wife, I think if it was a compelling reason with the battery to upgrade to an iPhone 14, fine. Uh, have they made the battery uh, replacements a little bit cheaper? That would probably be a better solution for most people, I'd have said. But yeah, I think it's it's down to that really, isn't it? That uh, For me, if next year's upgrades included the Dynamic Island uh, and USB-C, to go on about USB-C, we do talk about USB-C an awful lot, then, you know, that th- that's it. You've got your compelling upgrade. You know, lots of reasons to do it. Time to switch over. Maybe slightly slight improvement on the display. If it could come up with 90 hertz, it doesn't need to go all the way up to 120 hertz possibly, but they could do something in that realm to make it a little more professional. Then it becomes a compelling upgrade. But this year, I think it's a bit, it's a very minor evolution of what we've had before. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. I'm pretty much in line with what they did with the watch. That was also very incremental with the Series 8. So I'm going to tell her to wait. If she's really st- suffering with her battery, Maybe I look in to see how much a battery placement is, or maybe I just look and see if I can pick up a reasonably priced iPhone 13, because hopefully now they're going out of the channel, they should be relatively easy to pick up, I'd have thought. Yeah, there should be plenty around, shouldn't there? I mean, the, the one good thing about Apple is that they do continue to support the software generally for sort of five years and security updates and all the rest of it. You don't get the latest and greatest. But actually, as we've just said, the difference between the iPhone 13 and the iPhone 14 is extremely negligible, particularly when it comes to, you know, the cameras maybe a tiny bit better and you might not get that uh, focusing yeah, front-facing camera. But if you don't take a lot of selfies, that's probably not that big a deal. Agreed. And I would imagine the 13 and the 14 will age expire at the same time because they've got the same chip in them. Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. So yeah, I think if you if you're a few more years older, eleven and before, think about an iPhone fourteen. But other than that, unless you're going to go pro, then it's not the year. And I see in the sales channel that it's the pro that seems to be dominating the sales from when they've been talking about this so far this week. Yeah, I'm not surprised by it. It's got all the new hotness, hasn't it? Which should we talk about that now? Let's talk about that now because you've got one, I think. I do, and I was having an eye about do I need a new phone, and I did fancy new phone so i had an iphone 12 pro max so the big iphone and i've actually just gone for the iphone 14 regular because i fancied a change and i was getting a bit cheesed off with the weight and when i looked at the weight between the 12 pro max and the 14 pro max it weighed even more and i was like i don't want a heavier phone a bigger phone in my pocket so i've gone for the regular 14 pro i've not missed the screen size one iota because what did annoy me a little bit with the Pro Max is they didn't really do anything to take advantage of the extra resolution. You didn't get more icons really in control center or on the home screen. I think just scaled up. So I haven't actually missed the, the screen size a bit. And I run it on the smallest font size anyway. So no, very happy with that. The hardware is fantastic. I have really noticed how big the lenses are on the back. They're probably more akin to what you've already got with your 13. And you really feel the rock of it on the table when when you didn't have a case on it like you put it on the table and it was just like wow even with the case on it's not fantastic so definitely noticed that but the cameras are awesome i played a bit with raw and taking some 48 megapixel photos cracking the amount of light it gets in the quality of the photos the fact you can then crop a piece out of it and it's still really good res i think the camera is awesome and i do like to take a little bit of you know if you i like to play with the camera a little bit when i'm out and about like if i go to London like I did last week and I'm in London again this week I won't take my big camera with me in my bag because it's too heavy to carry but I will take my phone with me obviously and it's great that you've got something you can play with and you know do something a little bit arty with it maybe or or just 
yeah, just, I don't know, a little bit of a break and you know you're going to get get good results with it. So very happy with that. What else have we got? So Dynamic Island is probably the biggest talking point. Love it. I think this goes to one of your points. You've got a gripe about how they show the, the iPhone charging since the recent lock screen update, I think, in iOS 16. But actually, because of the Dynamic Island, it all sits up there. So when you stick it on charge, you get a little charge indicator around the island. Fantastic. I really like it. I think they've done a great job with it. I had some music playing in our kitchen earlier today in the HomePods, and it just showed me the little album art in the corner and a picture of the HomePods on the other side. You could just tap on it and see what the track was. So I think they've done some really good integration with the, just the now playing bit. It's fantastic on, on its own. So Dynamic Island, yeah, awesome. I'm definitely raving about it. I'm curious to see whether they would bring that to an iPad. You know what I mean? Would the iPad stay as it is or would they bring Dynamic Island to it? Because that's now their iconic thing and it's part of the software piece. And I I, I could argue it either way. I, I think I'd rather they didn't bring it to the iPad. You have maximum screen without something Im, impinging on the screen and you keep the slightly chunk, chunkier bezels. Yeah, I don't know about that, really. You think of the laptops where the notch also is on the MacBook Pros. And there was a little bit of pushback about it, but ultimately you're guessing more screen, putting a notch in, you're able to sort of swell up the screen around each side of it. So the notch has become the defining feature of what an iPhone is. When you look at an iPhone front on or an Android phone front on, you could tell which was the iPhone and which was the Android. Yeah, you get Androids to do it, but it's done very, very differently. I'm sure that they'll start to push the dynamic island through the range. It'll, it'll almost certainly be in the iPhone 15 next year, the standard one, not the Pro. And I'd be surprised if they didn't bring it to some of the iPads. I guess we'll see that soon. There's there's rumors of an event in October. So maybe we'll see that sooner than later on iPad Pros, at least. The implementation of that's the interesting thing, though, isn't it? Because does it remain landscape? Does it become portrait? You know, thoughts around where that lives as well. And it doesn't take up more space than the notch did. So if you're going to go through this engineering work and the software work, and let's face it, iPad OS and, and iOS are more or less the same thing, why wouldn't you make it a differentiator on the Pro iPads, at least, as well? I don't want a hole in the middle of my screen. you got a hole in the top of your screen now anyway, so does it really make a difference? No, but not in the screen now, have I? Not on the iPad, because the iPad doesn't have a notch. No, I suppose. I, I guess time will tell. I think they like this differentiation. and I'm To me, they'd be crazy not to bring it to the iPad Pros, because you've got an, a Pro phone, you've got a Pro iPad, and this is the thing that differentiates it. And where that location is for that camera... I suspect it's not impinging on your screen too badly. And if you've got faster face ID and you've got all the other things that came along with a better sensor that's part of, you know, that will go along with with the DI, then, you know, you're good to go. But I, we'll see. You know, who knows how Apple's going to jump when it comes to that. Hardware leaks will happen fairly soon and we'll see it. Yeah, hopefully. I'm looking forward to where they go with the iPad because, as we all know, I do use my iPad a lot. But no, I, th- I think on the whole, it's fantastic. The always on screen, though, this last bit of new hardware is is really good, but it's weird after 14 years of having a black screen every time you turn it off. So sometimes I think, oh no, I haven't put it into lock, and then oh no, I have because because obviously it just dims the screen. It is done so well, and you still have tap to wait so that you know you tap the screen and it lights up, and you know you you can see it as normal. But no, fan, all of it fantastic. So I think both where the hardware and the software collide, i.e., Dynamic Island. And the always on screen, fantastic, I would say. They would just go so well together. It works seamlessly because you just use the dynamic island without even thinking about it. Whereas I think sometimes some software features fail because you've got to change how you use it and you're not forced to use it. Whereas I think with the always on screen and and dynamic island, it forces you to use it that way. And it's, it's kind of on by default. My only comment 
that I was a bit annoyed on the always on screen was it's very bright when it was charging, lying on my MagSafe charger at night and it kind of lit up the room, tried to put me over it, which seems a bit odd that it didn't just time out after five minutes and go fully black. That sounds like it needs an automator action really or something that you should have a setting on charge, not in motion at location at home. Then in all those situations, then don't leave the always screen always on. So if the phone's at 90 degrees, if the phone's at 90 degrees on a MagSafe charger, turn it off. You're probably right, actually, but I shouldn't have to write a shortcut to do that. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. It's interesting what you say there about sort of hardware and things working. Because to me, there's always been a level of obscurity. You see it a lot on the iPad with the sort of various dances that you need to do to understand, you know, is this a slide overview? Is this this, you know, how do I get apps side by side? Unless you're a bit more literate with, with with the design language of it it's not discoverable and haptic touch was the same way or force touch what's now become haptic touch is you know i suspect 80 percent of of iphone users don't know if they press and hold on an icon the shortcut actions will appear next to it so it's that discoverability and the thing i like about the the di is there is no discoverability it's back to the just works type thing it's just an elegant hardware feature improved with software and that's apple at its best yeah and you know what i was going to mention 3d touch i think they called it where you you could push a little bit harder on the screen and it was like right clicking and that was just a feature that obviously disappeared over time because nobody used it because you didn't have to use it and people didn't know it was there but no i I think it's fantastic what they've done really good evolution nothing's revolutionary i wouldn't say but really good progression i think just to note if you take a raw photo 87 meg is how much that is which is part of the reason i did stick with getting a 256 gigabyte model which i had previously and i do and because i've got so much space i do leave it to download all my photos but i thought actually if i go on a tear and take a load of photos i know i've got a bit of overhead to deal with it but i am enjoying the camera is fantastic i don't know what more i need to say on it just two other things to note though so i did also transition to an eSIM, even though i don't need to here in the uk we do get a sim tray i've done the eSIM thing it wasn't great but worked in the end. So it did not fill me with any confidence. So I went to Ease app on my phone, found a bit about an eSIM, managed to download one, activate one. I had to wait a bit when it moved over. And then it said it was done, but still said the number was zero, zero when you look at the multiple SIMs, but then transpired it had ported over. You just had to manually overtype the number, but I'm all eSIMed now. I'm there, I'm done. So that, that seems quite good. It seems to work. I don't know whether it makes anything any quicker or in that because you haven't got a regular SIM card, but it feels like we're going to be going to eSIMs next year or whatever. So I thought I might as well try it out now. And then finally, the setup process. So I did actually try to transition from my old phone to my new phone, but it was a nightmare. I think partly because Apple's servers might be hitting too much load, they weren't dealing well with it. And then it got halfway through doing a restore where you transition all your data over and then it just stopped for whatever reason and just didn't go anywhere and the time was just ticking up and up and up and it clearly wasn't actually ever going to complete but there was no way sort of to get out of it and there was very little you could do other than start again and then when i did the restore from icloud it partially restored but couldn't authenticate because apple was getting hit and so actually in the end i just thought actually you know what i'll just set up a fresh iphone because i don't want a half restored iphone hanging around but when it's restoring you don't know what it's doing it just says restoring you've got 500 meg left to do of what where are you but if you go into the iCloud backup pane it tells you when the restore is in progress which bit of the restore it's doing which is odd that it's not linked from the bit in the settings app that tells you it's doing a restore so very bizarre setup but annoyingly I've set my phone again I've largely got it back where I wanted it 
would have probably preferred a transition, but equally don't mind that, you know, it's probably quite healthy just to go afresh. And what you find though is all the little settings about a week later of, oh, the Siri voice isn't one I normally have. And oh, that alert's popping up and I haven't installed my doorbell app and I need my heating app installed. So just those few points. Yeah, there's quite a lot there, isn't there? And there is a story in news later about iPhone investi- Apple investigating iPhone Pro models freezing after data transfers. <clears throat> so I suspect you weren't the only person who was suffering from that. I did have a comment on the eSIMs, actually, that I, I was sort of looking at this because we- we'd been messaging in the week and you said you'd had this issue with setting it up and the few issues are in the eSIM as well. There are actually apps in the App Store and the one I came across is called Aerolo which you can buy an eSIM before you travel. So if you're going to America or you're going anywhere around the world, you can actually buy a 30-day eSIM. Activate it before you leave the country, and when you get there, start using it. And then it will expire, and you can manage it. I just thought that's it's probably not as cheap as buying it in the country. But I just thought that was fantastic that, you know, before you go, that the eSIMs are available worldwide from one app provider that lets you get on and use it. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. It may not be as cheap, but at least you can get it in the bag before you get to the other country. I just found mine a bit odd because it said I can I couldn't just convert my SIM card to an eSIM. It just said you can't do it. And I was like, okay. And then when I go into Ease app and I fished around a bit, you could then download, which is also good because obviously if your phone gets stolen, you don't need to write off for an e- you don't need to write off for a SIM card. You can just download the eSIM and off you go, kind of thing. So I'm I'm glad I've done it and I've tried it out and it was quite pleasurable to throw my SIM card in the bin after all these years. Yeah, I mean, one thing we didn't talk about when we were talking about the sort of benefits and, and negatives of eSIMs is the security aspect. That if somebody steals your phone, then they've got access to your data. They've potentially got access to contacts and stuff like that that may be on there too. Because SIM cards used to and probably still do store a certain amount of information about the phone. So as well as being able to spoof and dummy SIM cards, if you know, if you are a bad actor, we've all seen, well, Mission Impossible does it too, but spy films and born films where they clone SIM cards and do all that kind of stuff. You know, that's probably not that far away from reality. And things like the Pegasus app certainly showed that other such things were possible. So eSIMs are a good security thing as well as, it's quite old fashioned technology, isn't it? A SIM card. If you think it goes back to the very early days of mobile phones and you put a bit of plastic and copper into your phone, why would we do that? We don't use floppy disks anymore. This sort of fairly similar concept. It probably is time to move on with this kind of thing. No, definitely. I think it is. I think I do think they're doing the right thing by forcing the hand and getting people to move to it. They've always had it in the Apple Watch. Might as well get the phones there. Maybe that will force like your carrier and every other carrier to get on with it. So the eSIM transition was as I expected. The transition was a pain, but now I've done it. It's fine. It's a non-event. Yeah, I think it's just them forcing the MVNOs to move on. As we said, the main carriers, with the exception of three in the UK, support it. The main carriers in America support it. You know, they all support this pay-as-you-go type thing, it would seem, with companies like Aerolo and all the rest of being able to do it, even in, these, in this country. So, yeah, time to move on, I guess. Let, let's let's get the second-tier carriers up and running with this stuff, and let's get on with it. Yeah, agreed, and I've no idea why second-tier carriers can't do it, but you've got to imagine now everybody's going to follow suit, and all phones are going to go this way. It just needed Apple to cajole everybody along very good okay final bit of follow-up for me was a few weeks ago we spoke about some audiobooks i was looking forward to and i just wanted to report back i've listened to robert galbraith the ink black heart and i've listened to richard osman the bullet that missed and thoroughly enjoyed both of them that's what i wanted to report back on and i love the audible app it's fantastic and it keeps getting regular updates which is always nice to see they keep chipping away new features i think the app's fantastic the library's great love or hate amazon i do think audible's really good and i've got an annual subscription for 
I don't know, 24 credits, I think it works out as, and that's the cheapest buy price you can get. And it's fantastic. And I pre-ordered it and it downloaded and off I went to the races. And I usually download the high quality ones because I've got plenty of space on my iPhone. But I just think it's a great app. Love it. and can recommend it. And both both stories, both books, I thought were really good. No, in, in now Amazon's defense, I agree with you. I think the Audible app is great. I haven't paid for Audible books in years and years and years, but all the ones I bought, one I was subscribed to Audible from back in the day, are all still there, all still accessible to me. It's quite generous with using mobile data now. So if I thought, oh, hell, I'm in the car, I need to do something. Not when I'm driving, obviously, when I'm parked up by the side of the road. I can set something downloading and I can start streaming it almost straight away for an audiobook when I'm going. So yeah, it's a very well-designed app. My experience of it has been pretty stellar. It works with things like if I want to put it on my home pods in the house, I can do the tap and it'll transfer over to them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a good app. I always struggle to listen to an audiobook coming out of a speaker, I think, just because I don't engage with it as much. So I have to have it on my headphones. But no, fantastic app and service and it's one that's great when Amazon buy somebody like Eero and just leave them alone, but they just, you know, financially back them. And I think they've done a good job with Audible. Fair enough. Good point. Okay. I think that's it for follow-up this week. We can move along to the news and the rumors. And the first story is that apparently there's already a problem potentially with the iOS 16.1 beta and GPS. So there's many reports coming out. And in fact, a thing from Apple themselves saying, don't run 16.1 if you want to use location in any way and location's pretty fundamental to phones these days yeah i'm assuming this is broken because i believe in the new iphone we've got the gps one and five settings that are more accurate so i'm assuming that's why it's broken and i guess it's apple hadn't told its developers maybe this new bit of hardware that was in there and it hasn't been merged in yet i'm sure it'll be fine in the next next beta i've actually taken the opportunity to not have any beaters on anything other than my iPad. And so I'm, I'm, go- I'm going with that at the moment. It's quite nice to be off off the wagon. And also in 16.1, there wasn't really anything that was like, oh, I really want to try that out. Yeah, I, I, I suspect not that many people are continuing to run the beta. And let's face it, this isn't the public beta at this point. It's still a developer beta. So it should be a smaller percentage of people that are being affected by this. Because, yeah, agreed. Yeah, But still, nasty little bug. You promise, you know, you release new GPS hardware. My understanding was the two bands, the second one's not widely available yet, so it's not working all that well within cities and things that they said anyway. It's still relying on the primary band. Is it the L1 band? Yeah, L1 and L5 are the two. And the L5... Yeah, I think it's L1 and L5, but I didn't quite understand what happened to 2, 3, and 4 in the middle. I, maybe it's like Wi-Fi. Maybe they just start at 6. I don't know. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, so don't run the 16.1 beta and expect to get your location accurately tracked or working at all potentially on iPhone Pro models. So yeah, there you go. That's that's just an interesting little news story that you're immediately back into broken things with betas, I thought. Yeah, no, another reason I think maybe come off the beta wagon and wait wait for the big releases, which is odd me saying it because I'm normally all on board with the betas. And keeping in beta problems are not just beta problems, but iPhone 14 problems. The second story is that the iPhone 14 Pro camera is making shaking and rattling noises in TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, and third-party apps. Now, my experience of most people who use iPhones is that they use these apps on them. You know, I, I watch my kids particularly. They're not on Pros, they're on Standards, but... If they're selling mostly pros and there's some weird about the software, I mean, it's a software problem. It's not a hardware problem. Apple's own um, software isn't causing this. I just thought it was quite interesting that they were being unable to take pictures using third-party apps like Snapchat, TikTok, and Instagram, as the problems include the camera shaking, rattling, and making physical noises. It sounds a bit weird. 
It does not sound good though, does it? I don't use any of these apps because I don't do social media. So I would I haven't seen this problem firsthand. I have installed Obscura though, the alternative photography app, and I haven't seen any problems with that. Maybe it's just a problem in the API and the way that some of the social media apps call it, because I suspect, is it Halide that's the sort of very yeah. pro camera app as well? There's been no reports from them other than I saw a tweet from the developers saying that the camera app was incredible. So this just maybe is affecting that particular API that some of the social media people are using. Yeah, I think that makes sense, but I haven't seen it firsthand. Yeah, bit of a worrying thing though. I mean, the last thing you want is your phone making, you know, various noises and it is a, you know, there's an an image stabilization element to the pro cameras and has been for a while. In fact, I think it's made it down to the iPhone standard models too. So if it's zooming or or whatever it's actually doing hardware-wise, maybe that's causing damage to the camera. That would be pretty upsetting for your brand new phone. Yeah, that would be, yeah. You don't hear no noises coming from it don't sound good, do they? I mean, that's going to be interesting. I'm assuming there will be an update out very quickly for that. I would, I would have thought so. And in the linked article in the show notes, there is actually a little YouTube video of what it looks like if you want to get an idea what it, what people are going through. But mechanical noises coming from your phone, that's a big no-no. I don't think I've heard any mechanical noises coming from my phone. Is there anything mechanical in it? Well, apart from the image stabilization thing. Yeah, Kirsten. Interesting, yeah. Okay, the next story, iPhone 14 problems and data transfers. You've got personal experience of this one, I think. it's This seems to be related to iCloud restores rather than device-to-device. -device. You tried both, though, didn't you? No, no, it says both. It says iCloud restore and data transfer from their previous iPhone, and I did both, and both were awful for me, hence why I've I just started the game, but I wasted so much time. I was so annoyed because I was wasted time. Whereas it should be a really smooth process, and I hadn't done it for two years, and I, and I was cheesed off because it just took forever because i just had to start again and install apps one by one yeah that's not good i my experience last year of going the 13 pro was flawless i gotta say i was so impressed i, I went icloud restore for the first time i'd always done device to device and it just worked you know everything came across my apps gradually filled in i think my banking apps i had to reiterate passwords but the rest of them it seemed to preserve them it was flawless so i was a bit surprised when you said you'd had such troubles this year yeah, well, and I was annoyed too. I don't mind having to put my passwords back in because I've got them all in one password anyway. But it was just, oh, it was just so frustrating. Like I say, you waste time doing one method, then you try the next, didn't work. Then I had to wipe it again. It's like, it's a brand new £1,000 phone. I, yeah, I was annoyed I was getting all these issues with it. Fair enough. But obviously a big enough problem that it's made it onto the news sites and lots of people are experiencing it. If it's going to be on any day, it's going to be an iPhone launch day, isn't it? Because they get absolutely smashed. Yeah, but I'm curious though, was it because they had a lot of traffic or is this actually an issue with it? Yeah, I guess that's a deeper problem, isn't it? I mean, the, the new phones normally get devices. I get the feeling there's a few more with these this year's models than we've had over the last couple of years over launch. Maybe that's just, I, I don't know, we, I pay more attention because we have a podcast now perhaps, but I, I'm getting the impression that this and the little problems with the cameras... The, a lot of these are software related and that's an area we've pointed at Apple recently and gone, this hasn't been very good. You know, if we can think of delays to your beloved iPad OS updates as well, there's maybe a little something going on here. Yeah, especially when we said iOS 16 was very solid. Yeah. It, it does feel like they've had more issues this year than most, but like you say, maybe we're taking more note this year. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. 
Oh, well. Well, again, watch this space. And if there's other sort of issues around the iPhone 14 or iPhone 14 Pro, we'll, of course, report them next week when we meet up again. Quite a slow news week this week, unsurprisingly, other than the stuff we've talked about. The next two stories, or it's two links, actually, I just thought were interesting uses of the dynamic island. Uh, one of which is a little game, like a Tetris-style game, which you can bounce a ball off your dynamic island at the top. I thought that was fun. I thought it was fun that Apple let it through in the first place, actually. Because... If you remember when they had the force sensor, I can't remember the name of you talked the 3D touch sensor in the original iPhones, somebody released a scale app so you could put weights on the front of your phone and it would tell you how heavy they were. So they can be a bit sensitive about this kind of thing. So I thought it was quite interesting that they were doing this breakout style game with a dynamic island and let it through. Uh, have you tried either of these? No, I haven't. I haven't really actually played any games. I only got it on Friday. I just haven't had time. It looks kind of what I expected and I swear there was something when the notch came out like this but it's quite creative and obviously somebody made that pretty quickly yeah they did because I mean that was only announced on the iPhone day so to get it turned around that quickly that's good the second one is the Reddit app so if you are on the, the, the social media site Reddit they have a third party app to that called Apollo and the person that wrote the Apollo app wrote like a kind of little Tamagotchi thing so there'd be a little critter would work work his way across the dynamic island top. And again, I just thought it's a bit novel, a bit different. You might not want that on your screen. I could understand why you wouldn't. But at the same time, it's a good turnaround, isn't it? It's a good response to a new feature in the iPhone to do something a little bit creative. Yeah, I quite like it. The Apollo one, though, I think is quite cool. It's nice to have a bit of whimsy, isn't it? And just, just a little bit of characters to the app. I think that's, yeah, I think that's kind of cool. I'm with you. And, and that's it for news. There, well, there have been a bunch of rumors around forecasted iphone the next generation iphone models and some pre-releases but we'll do them in another show i think i think that's good enough for us this week i always struggle when they announce the next talk about the next iphone when it's a year away because nobody's really focusing on it now let's just enjoy what we've got and let's get a bit closer to it i think yeah i'm with you one thing i am looking to for forward to that i haven't seen a lot of is some teardown stuff of the new iphones i'd like to see if they have actually improved the cooling system inside they've improved the cooling system inside yeah that's good. I haven't used it a huge amount, but when I was transferring from the the old phone to the new phone, my old phone was on fire, and the new phone, the, the 14 Pro, was was it got a little warm, but it was relatively chilled. It seemed fine in the car. It didn't seem as hot when I was using CarPlay. I mean, this is largely anecdotal. I haven't measured anything. Obviously, when I had the two phones next to each other, and they're doing the same thing. That was interesting. That the Pro Max was really hot. So the thermals, just upon the initial look, seem a lot lot better the real test for me and i haven't really been in my car is to charge my phone on chi and run wireless carplay and see if it is hotter than the sun yeah i mean that'll be interesting uh, if it's an entirely new cooling system and they did say they did, they did a new cooling system great it needs it but no that's that's good feedback actually that already you're seeing a bit of a difference i mean it could be efficiencies in the chip slightly that it's a slightly smaller process as this chip to that one so it runs a bit cooler doing those things over the generation you had before but as you say when you're absolutely hammering it i think using it in the car with your wireless car, car play that will show it or if you played pokemon go that's pretty bad for batteries you know i think that'd be quite a good way of testing it too I don't play Pokemon Go, but I will do the car test. We can do the car test. Okay, that'll do us for news and rumors this week. Moving on, media. First one's for me. I haven't actually, I certainly played very few games this week. Unusually for me, it's been a busy week. But I did manage to find a little bit of time to watch a couple of films. And one of the ones I watched was Starship Troopers, which is a film from the late 90s, early 2000s. It was the third in a row by director Paul Verhoeven who also did Robocop and Total Recall. And I just forgot how fantastic a film Starship Troopers was. And... It's underlying social commentary in these sort of post-Trump days or, you know, inter-Trump days. I'm not sure where we are, really. 
is absolutely spot on. I mean, they they nailed the tone of that slightly dystopian organization that, you know, had certainly fascist undertones. Well, not just undertones, it's very explicit in the film. And Verhoeven, who, having lived through the Second World War and through the Nazi occupation and all that kind of stuff, really wanted to bring that sort of feeling to the film. And watching it again now with modern eyes, he absolutely nailed it. And even the effects have held up in the film. But it's it's really, if you haven't watched it in a few years or you've never seen it at all, Starship Troopers is worth a watch. It really is. So it came out in 1997. Yeah. I have seen it, but not for a really long time. And you know what? You talk about it, it makes me kind of want to go back and watch it again. I do, do like a retro film. In, like you say, sometimes it's interesting when you watch a film, A, you're older, B, the world's carried on for 20 odd years since. And it's quite interesting to look back on it. Did you know, and I did not know this, it's got Neil Patrick Harris in it. I did. Yeah. Barney from How I Met Your Yeah, yeah. He plays, well, the psychic sort of one who becomes a senior officer in it. And not long after his Doogie Howser days, I think, in that. The interesting, one of the interesting things about it is the, the book that it's based on by an author called Robert Hine was quite a right-wing book. So Verhoeven's reimagining of the whole thing was really quite against, certainly what the author meant, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, it, really quite a compelling retelling of, of a story and just takes the basic idea and goes forward. But, but yeah, if you haven't seen it in a few years, I'd recommend it. It's, it's, it's a really good watch and it stands up. You've inspired me. I will try and get that on the list. Good. Nick. next up is me i have finished for all mankind i watched the final episode thoroughly enjoyed it really well done nice little twist at the end to tee you up for the next season yeah fantastic i think they really holds up well i do kind of want to go back and re-watch all of them probably like you've just watched starship troopers knowing now what i know at the end of season three be good to go back and watch one and two again and just see how it all you know how it all comes together but no, really good i think it's a cracking season i think we've said it before it doesn't i don't think it gets the praise that it should get yep i'm, I'm with you it's it should be more in the public eye than it currently is it's it, it was the apple's flagship show i'd say more than c and, and all the rest and w- when they launched and it kind of lost that as soon as ted lasso came along which by the way did quite well at the emmys we didn't talk about that we should have put that in the show notes as well i think ted lasso won three emmys altogether best show best actor for jason sudeikis and possibly best comedy or something like that so it did extremely well and severance didn't do quite so well which was a bit of a so ted lasso winning i'm not that surprised severance not getting them all i'm a little surprised because it You've got to be into it, I think. Um, and it probably doesn't have as wide as appeal, if that makes sense. It probably does in our circles because it's just the nature of it. You could just see it clicking. Interesting as well, Ted Lasso, apparently season three has been delayed because they want to perfect it. And so it isn't quite done yet. So it makes you wonder, you know, are they trying to shoot for the stars? And they've got a tough act to follow. So as much as I really want to see season three, I do want them to get it right. I do wonder if they're going to struggle to live up to the hype and the previous two. Yeah. If they had lightning in a bottle that first time around, they definitely did. Interesting. So I'm really glad you enjoyed For All Mankind. You know, I know with you, you had a few problems with some of the CGI and some of the outside stuff. One of the scenes of which was featured in the Apple event, I noticed, that when when they strap one of the astronauts to a, to a capsule and launch them, he said, trying not to give away spoilers. They used that sh- that scene for one of them. So it's quite good that they are beginning to use their own stuff to demonstrate, that, rather than going to a Disney or going to Pixar or something like that to show it. Definitely, yeah, they should, but... Yeah, for all mankind, is disappointing in some of the, the uh, graphical piece. Next up on my list, so let's something completely different. This is what my kids have been watching on Netflix. The Floor is Made of Lava. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's a show where three people in a team have to go from one corner of a room to the other without touching the floor. Because if they do, they fall in and there's various obstacles and things. I just thought I'd give it an honourable mention because my kids are eight, 
8 and 11. I've been hooked on this for the last week or so and just picking up a few episodes on Netflix. And it's not a fantastic TV show, but it's quite interesting watching everybody big themselves up at the start and then fall in straight away. So um, there you go. <laughs> if you if you want some mindless fun. Hey. That's, that's fair enough. I don't mind a bit of mindless fun from time to time. I will maybe look out for it. Good. What else have we got in media this week? Hey. Is it- go for it. Next up, I was just going to say, I haven't seen it, but I'm looking forward to watching it with my children because they love a bit of Top Gear slash Grand Tour. And so the new Grand Tour is out and they're, I, I think they're in the Nordics. They've, they've got to be in the Arctic Circle and they've got some rally cars and stuff and it looks fantastic. So looking forward to watching that with the kids and hoping there's not too much inappropriate swearing in it. So this is Grand Tour, a Scandi flick in their first post-pandemic road trip. So that's a ha ha, a funny title, a Scandi flick. That's a driving method, isn't it? When you start to slide, you give it a Scandi flick to get the car back under control. Yeah, I'm sure it's something like that. Like the last one they did, which was French, was Carnage à Trois. Yeah, I, that which was funny actually. I did quite enjoy Carnage à Trois. Whereas the one before, where they went to Scotland, built a bridge, I thought wasn't nearly as good as it could have been. It wasn't. The only thing I found really amusing there is the bit where they ended up in America at the end. That's filmed around the corner from where I live. And actually where I met my wife 24 years ago. Ah, so it, and it, it's in Swindon and it just made me laugh a little bit because I was like, how, how did they come up with this? That's very good. I quite like that. I quite like that. Like, yeah, well, I, I I could see why that would have some nostalgia for you when they did that. But yeah, it le- it lacked a certain something for me, the Scottish one. Whereas Canage Trois was very good and I had high hopes for this one. I just haven't got around to looking at it yet. I've got high hopes for it and saving it to sit down and enjoy it with the kids because we, we, we all like cars, so it'd be nice to watch with them. Yeah, my, my kids like that too. So yeah, that's it. That's very interesting. Good. Okay, I'm still continuing to watch House of the Dragon, which is as good as it was. Matt Smith getting better and better. Paddy Constantine getting better and better. Uh, and the supporting cast are, are amazing as well. So that's very good. And just other bits and pieces. So I'll report back on them when I've got something a bit more interesting to say about them. Fair enough. Good. Moving on. Games. So you've had your play date for over a week now. How's that going? It's going well, but I haven't been at home to plan it very much. I've been out and about and I did pack light when I've gone to various conferences. So I haven't taken it with me. So I did look into Tetris though. You and I discussed it and said it must be Tetris there. And I saw one with some screenshots. I thought it looks fantastic. I went to download it and it went removed due to copyright. Because I, I was aware that the estate that owned Tetris, they are quite hot on people doing any clones of the game. But that... If they don't want others doing it, they need to get on and do it themselves and charge me a few quid to, to pay for it, fine. But no, the play, the play date is awesome. I've actually just put it on charge because I'm going to sit down and have some games when I go back to the house in a minute. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I thought the point of buying a small console would be you can take it with you. I know, I know. I just went uber light to London and I thought I probably shouldn't be playing games in my spare time because I've got so much work to do at the moment. So I didn't want to get too distracted. But maybe I'm in London again this week, so maybe I'll take it with me this time. You can always play it on the way back on the train. You know, your work's done at that point a lot of the time. So, you know, you need to chill out sometimes after you meet. If your work's not done, I usually find that I definitely am done. So you do need to chill out. I do agree. Absolutely. Good. Okay. I look forward to further updates because you'll have more games released, I guess, since the last, if they cut, is two, two a week? Is that how it works? Yeah, I think it's two a week. And I've just, I'm going to try and download the other two now and, and see, what, see what we've got. And I've, I've got the, I bought like a pack of games for $20 that I need to get into a bit more. So I've got plenty on there to go. I just, yeah. I, I, just slightly, I do slightly worry about that in the sense that when I was a kid and I'd buy a game for my Commodore 64 or something like that, I could only afford one. And actually there wouldn't be much more out that I'd want. So I'd spend a lot of time playing that one game. And even if it wasn't everything I could have hoped it would be, I'd play it because there was nothing else and it was the new thing. And I sometimes think that if you get too much choice, 
as Xbox Arcade does, that you don't play any of them very hard because you just surf on and look for the next game. So I quite like the notion of there being sort of limited availability of them. Yeah, but there is also a lot of games made by other developers that you can download and buy bundles or get for free. So there are there is a reasonable number of games out for this this thing. But no, I, I get your point, and it is a problem we all have. I think, especially in this day and age, we all have too much revenue. Just look at streaming media, for example. Yeah. Get, yeah. So the next story is yours as well, I think. Oh yeah, Spl- Splatoon three is out on the Nintendo Switch. I downloaded it. I haven't played it, but my children have been very much enjoying it. They love the mechanic of painting stuff. They think that is fantastic, which is great. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to having a go. Though they did want to see if it did split screen two player, and I was like, I don't know. So I've got a bit of homework to do there. Of, does it do two player? And actually have a go myself. Fair enough. I'm glad that you ignored all the reviews and stuff and went ahead and got it anyway. I did see a story about Splatoon this week, actually, that I'll put in the show notes now, about how Splatoon 3 has the best social media of any platform just because of how limited it is and the way it forces you to do it. So I, I just thought that's quite interesting. It's better than Be Real, apparently, which is this. I think we've talked about this in this show before. Once a day it tells you, or twice a day it tells you, take a picture now, and it shows your external camera and the camera facing you so you can see what you're doing and what's going on in the world at that point. So whether you're putting on your makeup or you're just walking to work, that's that's the real moment in your life. It's funny, my daughter's friend, this is very topical this week, was in Cardiff when King Charles III was there. And his be real for the day is King Charles on one side of his camera and himself looking the other way, you know, and capturing that sort of real moment situation. So I just thought it was interesting that suddenly Splatoon 3 is considered a social media platform. And Nintendo aren't exactly famed for doing interactions and media and social and so I, I'm not into any of that world myself, to be fair. I just want to have a go on the game. But I had pre-ordered it, though, to be fair. So I'd already ordered it before the reviews come out. I know I'd want to have a go on it. So. Fair enough. Good. Okay, games this week. I've played a little bit of Apex Legends on the iPad as all. Well. I've had very little time to do anything else. So I wanted to switch my brain off for like 20 minutes. So I did that. And that's been about it, really, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. In fact, I've played so few games this week that I had to do some electrical work around the house. I've threw some breakers on the rcds and my xbox my ps5 went off standby and just went off and i haven't turned either of them back on do you think i jinxed us the other week when i said you managed to play so many games or so many films that it's all my fault it's entirely possible and i used to joke with you back in the day that you had some sort of electrical field that you broke computers as soon as you got near them it's true <laughs> and i think your iphone and your play date reports from the last couple of weeks means that's still going yeah, I've not had good first run experiences. I'm hoping my Apple Watch on Friday will be much better. So this is an Apple Watch Ultra, isn't it? It is. I'm really I excited. I haven't cancelled the order yet. I'm really excited to hear about this because I, I, I thought it was chonking, but in all other ways. It'd be good. Anyway, we're going off track. We're going off games. That's that's good stuff. I think you're on the same page. And I did say last week, it's 50-50 whether I'm going to keep it. And I don't think my 50-50 is swayed yet. I think it's going to come down to trying it on. Fair enough. Good. Okay, I think we're he- we're on track for fairly a shortish show this week. I'm quite impressed with their discipline for once. So, on to the main show. It's more commentary on me this week than anything else. I, I noticed that when I was putting my... I-, I, ha- I mean, I knew iOS 16 did this on some level because I've been running the beta for such a long time. But the currently charged status of my phone had gone missing. I got quite used to plugging it in, tapping the screen and having a look, and it would tell me then... 46% charged, 96% charged. And it's only when the release came out that I noticed this is gone. And I used to rely on that to know how charged my battery was to move on. Why is it, A, why is it gone? And B, it's so bad now that I've had to turn on the stupid full battery indicator thing in the top right corner to tell me what battery status I've got. It's just annoyed me and unfeasible. 
I don't know. And I don't think I really was that upset by it when I when I had iOS 16. Maybe I just didn't look at it as much as you. I don't know. Because I generally just charge mine once at night. And if I use it a lot for Teams in the day, for whatever reason, I will try and top it up. But I don't know. Yeah, I'll be honest, it doesn't really bother me. Well, I find I can get a day and a half out of my phone generally. You know, I, I can charge it up. It's It's not too much of a problem. I do use it fairly aggressively during the day, but... Often I'll, I don't need to charge it every night overnight. I can walk to work. I can plug it in there, you know, however my day looks. So I am curious. I'll have a quick glance to see how charged it is at that point. Or if it is charging, I want it to hit 100% and unplug it. I suppose I'm still old fashioned like that, you know, so it, I, which I know isn't always necessarily the best thing to do with the way battery health is calculated these days. But it's, it's just one of those little things that's annoyed me. And it's less of a problem, as you were saying, for you, because you've got your DI to tell you what your charge status is. I just wonder if this is something that slipped off the radar. Yeah, possibly. And maybe it was ready for the for the dynamic island. I'm amazed you get a day and a half out your phone. I never did out my 12 Pro Max. But then I do remember when the 13 came out, they had done some amazing wizardry with the battery. Yeah, i got to say, the 13... Pro Max, which is what I've got. It's a big phone with a big battery, but it's got a big screen to drive that, to be driven as well. It's been a really great battery, with the exception of a couple of the, the beta releases. I easily get over a day every day, you know, without trying very hard on it. So it's kind of, I was a bit taken aback. Yeah, I'm more thinking about buying one of those MagSafe pucks to put on the back just to top mine up from time to time. Yeah, so they'll only charge your iPhone Pro Max up to about 80%. They won't top it up to 100 Is that good enough? It probably would be fine for me. And I haven't got a Pro Max, don't forget. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, if I'm going to be able to charge my phone battery when I'm out and about, I kind of want it to be up all the way. And we've talked before about the, the large anchor battery I've got that can do seven or eight charges to my And that's what I want with me when I'm off the, not off the grid, but when I'm unsure about the status of charging sockets are in the place, particularly for my laptop too. I want a lot of power with me. And if I'm going to carry something that small and that heavy, you know, to stick to the back of my phone, I may as well carry something that's only a little bit larger and a little bit heavier and be able to do more. True, I can see that. And, and But I've been on the train a few times this week and actually I was super impressed. I managed to charge everything up each time and various conferences I've been. It's been less of an ordeal, I think. Yeah, I, well, before, I mean, I suppose it's locked down a little bit now, but I would be able to get to London from Swansea, you know, do my day's work, use the phone extensively. Quite often on the train, I will hotspot my phone rather than do anything else, and I won't plug either of them in. And I'll, I'll still get a day out of my computer and my phone there and back. Yeah, I guess so. I don't do the hotspot so much because I've got Sailor in my iPad, which one day one day might come to the max. Yeah, that is an advantage you've got. Oh, fair enough. We won't dwell on that too much. There's no reason with eSIMs that Max couldn't have them either. I think if they were going to do it, why wouldn't you do an eSIM in it? They've got, they've got the technology. Yeah. They just are disinclined to do it. Anyway, that's 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 beating an old carpet or whatever the correct expression is. So yeah, I don't like that. They they bring need to bring that currently start currently charged status back so I can turn off the stupid battery indicator because I don't like it. Any gripes this week on on anything for your phone, or are you happy pretty happy otherwise? No, I th- other than the the setup process, which was frustrating and clearly wasn't just I thought it was just me, but since seeing that article, it's clearly not. No, I love it. I'm I'm there. I love having the smaller device now. I think it's fantastic. Good. Just got to get used to the always on screen. Fair enough. Good. Okay. I thought it'd be just fun to talk about what we've been using in iOS 16 on our phones then, as it's the one device we both have in common and has software at the moment that we can talk about. So now we've got iOS 16. The thing that's most obvious to people, certainly when I've gone around and forcibly installed it on my family's devices, it's the wallpaper setting and messing around with the clock and the font. And everybody I installed it on went, 
the fonts changed on my clock. I don't like it. So I just thought it'd be fun to talk about how you found that sort of experience and, and what you're running on your device. So interesting, I stood on my wife's iPhone and she said nothing. <laughs> so I, she's carried on using it exactly as she uses it now, but I, I got her updated anyway. And then I went to store at my kids' iPads and I was like, why is it not appearing? Why is it not appearing? And I was like, oh yeah, it's not out, is it, yet for the iPads? So I had, I had a bit of a moment, if I'm honest. I did update my HomePods though. They're, they're running really well with iOS 16 on them. Now, th- with regards to settings, so going from my... 12 to my 14 with the always on screen i've actually got it set up exactly the same that the home screen but you'll see mine mine's linked to focus modes i don't know if you really do this but i've got because i use one phone whether i'm at work or at home i use focus mode so from eight till six in a work day my phone switches to work mode and then from six till eight again it is in what i call family mode and then over the weekend it's in family mode so I quite like that setting because I look at my phone and go, oh, yeah, I'm in work mode now. And so I've got a, a different wallpaper and I've got some one slightly different widget. And that's all I've done. And I've got different home screens as well and a different watch face on my Apple Watch. So I'm, I'm, I've quite enjoyed how they brought all that together. Yeah, fair enough. No, I did fiddle with focus modes a bit in the early days of the beta. And mine was based on location. So when I'd walk to the office, it would change to, to be in a work mode. Back home again, it would change back into a different mode. But to be honest, I, I'm not that bothered about it. Basically, I want it to shut up when I'm at work so it's not pinging and tweeting. Or Whereas I don't care quite so much when I'm at home. Although that those modes are a bit mixed these days. We're working from home anyway. Yeah, so I don't use the location thing. I'd Like I said, I do the time basing because rough, I work roughly the same sort of hours every day. So eight till six kind of works for me. So I have it, yeah, set the wallpaper, obviously the widgets, the home screens, set my Apple Watch as well. So I have a different face. So when I'm out in work mode, in the middle of the face, it shows me what meeting I've got next, which is perfect for me because... You know, if I go up to the house to get a cup of tea or something, I know exactly what time I've got to be back. So I'm really enjoying it, actually. I, I do like the focus modes. That's probably the biggest thing I am now using consistently on iOS 16 and iPadOS. Well, I might have a bit more of a concerted go at it if I can get it set up properly. We've had a, a thing in our the top of our show notes for ages for Rod to use tab groups. Rod's not going to use tab groups till Ventura comes out because he uses a Mac more than anything else. So when that comes out, I'll, I'll investigate it. And at the same time, maybe I'll investigate the 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 focus modes based on time and location a little bit more than i had fair enough fair enough fair enough so for me on my phone i've created a screen with the photo shuffle i this talking about opaque things apple does i do think the setup process for this is difficult it's really hard for people to get their head around anything's changed as you said with your wife if you install this on somebody's phone it's not immediately apparent that anything's changed in 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 these particular modes and it is quite a change actually for your lock screen because it particularly if you've got an always on screen it's adding a lot to it so for me i went through it and i set up photo shuffle mode which is a particular thing up at the top of the screen when you press when you long press on it and the phone's unlocked which is also a bit of a a problem if you're trying to demonstrate on this on somebody else's phone they need to have looked at their phone for a little while the little padlock to unlock and then you can press and hold on it to change it yeah i hadn't thought about that piece you've got to have obviously unlocked to then be able to customize it yeah so just that is a little bit annoying when you're trying to demonstrate it because it won't it won't unlock on the pin if they tell you your pin to start setting this up in the first place. So they need to look at it. You need to sort of be keeping an eye on it, see the padlock go. Then you're able to push and hold on it. And then you create a new screen. You can't do it with your existing wallpaper. You've immediately got to swipe over and start creating a new home screen. I think they do this because you've got to have one kind of default screen. I think they need a default so that if your focus mode's need to bounce back to something they have a non-focus mode screen 
Which is fine. I think lots of people who like one wallpaper, though, who if it was their kids or their pets or whatever, they want to do the clever thing with the clock behind it. They're going to want to start again anyway. And the chances are that that particular wallpaper is in their photos library from a long time ago. So having to recreate that screen with the new modes on it and finding that original wallpaper, that could be quite tricky for some people. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. So, So that's one thing. The second thing, then, is... So I, my, my screen, I'll, I'll explain what it is now. I've gone for Photoshuffle. I've gone for an early change. I changed the filter to black and white because it looks classy. And I've picked people's pets, nature and cities out of those photos. Now, how it arrives at those photos, what the ones it wants to show are, I'm not 100% sure. I'm assuming it's using some machine learning to go, oh, look, there's a pet in there or nature. You've got a tree in that one or a building. I'll show that. Yeah, that's fine. But it seems to have picked pictures... I actually quite like. So I don't remember favoriting any of these. Maybe it's ones I've looked at for a while. But the thing I found really interesting about it is on my eldest daughter's phone and my father's phone, he happened to visit this weekend and I set it up on his as well. When I picked the photo shuffle, I got a warning to the effect of, I don't know enough about this yet. I haven't processed some stuff. I can't do it. So I left it overnight on my father's phone and went back and it still hadn't processed enough. So I went through and I, I picked 25 relatively nice looking pictures from his photo library and he was delighted. You know, it looked great. He, the photos he wanted, I did the black and white thing with him as well. And he went away happy as anything. But I, that that's not a, a very intuitive setup process at all for what is a, actually a bit of a stellar feature. Yeah, so why is he not processed it? Is it not got enough data? Is he not named enough people? Like, do you do the face thing in your photo library? Like where this is my wife, this is my children. Okay. Like, see, I don't overly do that. I do a bit of that. I did it back in the day and now it recognizes them for all time. But you don't do it with the scenery. You know, you don't do it with the pet that knows the pet, knows what a pet is. I just, I, it's not very straightforward. If it was just favorited photos over time, that would be fine. But it seems to be more than that. Mm, yeah, interesting. Maybe your dad hasn't used the photos app very much. He does take a lot of photos with his phone. He's got, my old iPhone 10 is what he's got. So it's it's okay. It's a good enough phone. It's certainly more than capable of doing all that kind of stuff. It was actually quite nice holding it in my hand again, I got to say. It, it was, it's so small compared to an iPhone Pro Max that it was- Yeah, my nice. friend at work had one and he's just swapped it now for an iPhone 14 regular. And it was a cracking shape and he had his caseless and it was in near mint condition, but it was such a good looking phone. Very nice. Totally. Yeah, so that, I thought that setup experience wasn't great. But, you know, what, what he's got, he's happy with. The problem is that it'll be the same 25 photos forevermore now because he won't remember how to get back into it and change it. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. Yeah, fair enough. So you've you've done a bit more with it than me because I'd forgotten you could even do all these things. So again, after 17 years of using the iPhone, I've just picked a photo. So I, when I'm in my family focus mode, I've got a picture of my, my children on it, which I like. I have asked them, can I take another one? A, I want to try the new camera, but B, it'd be nice to have an up-to-date one. And then when I'm in work focus mode, I've just got a building on there. And I, I think I've just, and it's one I've taken a picture of and I quite like the photo. So I do like tying it to the focus modes. What I should probably do though, is cherry pick some different photos so that like you've done, you've got a bit of a shuffle going on. I should probably do that for the two different focuses, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's interesting how you can set the timing of the shuffle. If you've got enough interesting photos, you can set it to go every day, every hour, every time I lock the phone. So it's quite a nice way of actually surfacing the photos that you may not have looked at for a while. And for mine, it's picked some absolutely cracking ones. You know, podcast listeners won't be able to see this, but, you know, just nice pictures of the local scenery that I've taken over time. I've got cityscapes in New York that I've taken. You know, nice pictures of the kids. It, it's really quite good when it works. It's such a shame that you can't show it, you know, almost immediately when people get the feature.
Yeah, I need to give it a go. So I'll, I'll try and report back on that. Good. Widgets. Have you got any widgets set up on your phone? So again, linked to my focus modes. So in family focus, very straightforward. I've, so I'm just looking at my phone now. I've got the temperature for today with the low and the highs on, the little round one they do. I've got the same for rain. What's the percentage chance of rain today? And then up in the where it says what day of the week it is, I've got the sunset time in there. So mine are quite weather orientated because I like to go for walks in the evening. I want to know the temperature for the day. Do the children need to take their coats to school? That kind of thing. And then I've got the same widgets again for my work focus mode, but I've also included in our share price in there because I keep an eye on that throughout the day. And that means I don't need the widget on a home screen in the phone because I've got it on the lock screen. So that seems working well for me. I would imagine now I'm getting the always on screen. Now I'm probably going to move this around a little bit. Fair enough. For me, I've got the Apple Home app so I can see how many lights I've got on in the house at any one time. So at the moment, it's telling me they're all on, which is you know useful. What I do find is my youngest daughter tends to go out in the morning. I, I, I would say it's not just useful, but expensive in the current climate. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, light bulbs aren't the most expensive thing. If it was the dishwasher running all the time or the tumble dryer, then I'd be more of a problem. But yeah, it's, it's good to yeah, know what's they're, on. They're probably on too. Hopefully not. <laughs> it's getting chillier, but we don't need to gather in the tumble dryer yet. That is good. My youngest daughter has a habit in the morning because she's, I suppose, slightly gothic slash emo. I don't know what the current correct terminology is for alternative music of a slightly darker kind. Her curtains are always closed. She doesn't like to open them. She tries not to come out of her room as much as possible, but she does like to have her light on so she can see herself enough to do her makeup. I hope she never listens to this podcast because I'll come and get smacked over the head. So I like to see if the light's been left on in the morning and I can turn it off. So that's why I've got the home widget permanently on my screen. Do you know what you need an automation though of once daughter leaves house, turn off bedroom light? You would have thought so, but how do I know daughter leaves house? I've got nothing in the house clever enough. I guess I can do it from her phone, can I? Well, I was going to say, I, I, I don't know how it works when it's the family, but could you do something based upon her phone leaving the vicinity? Potentially, that's not a bad idea. We had we did say we need to do something with automation, so maybe that's the thing. I did have it set on a timer before, but you know, come about nine o'clock, switch it off because she's definitely going to school then. But then lockdown, she's in her room more, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So for the moment, I just manually go and do it. But it's good; it's a good pointer that it's there. You know what? Look, I do so little automation because I thought I doing it with my blinds in the shed. Should I have it when? I'm- you know, every day for the blinds to open and close. And I thought, no, because sometimes I'm not in the shed. I go to the office while I'm out and about. So I'm kind of like you. I just leave everything manually. And as I usually walk down the garden, I just say to my watch, open open the studio and, and off it goes. Fair enough. So that's that. But I, I, I might, I take that on board. I might look at an automation for the future. It means I can free up a widget space on my phone anyway. There's also carrot weather because carrot weather is the best thing. And it gives me a nice forecast and just the one circular widget that's on there. Not a lot to be said about that other than it's got quite good. It seems to update plenty. I have overcast widget there, but I don't think it's going to stay there because it's the, the single circular widget is rubbish. It just shows me a little overcast icon and I can use it to launch the app. I did try the overcast one where you could have like your last played one. And I thought that was quite good. But I don't just listen to Overcast. I kind of want an, an, an now playing widget there that's whatever I was last listening to, whether it's music, Audible, or Overcast. Yeah, that would be more helpful, really. So I don't. I think Overcast's days are numbered. And what I'm hoping is that we'll have a few more widgets from some of the apps I do use more regularly that will be there on my lock screen. One app that does something similar is Obscura, a camera app. And it's just a shortcut to launch the Obscure app. I can see why they've done that as a widget, because obviously if you prefer to use that than Apple's camera app, up until now you had no way to just directly launch it before, whereas now you can. 
Yeah, fair enough. So that's good, but I'll report back on if I change that. And then the last one, and I actually it was listening to the Upgrade podcast. I hadn't even realized that you could change the date and time bar at the top as a widget. So that shows how dull I am, really. So I'm running underscore David Smith's widget smith to vague time widget at the top there, which instead of going 0755 in the date or something like that, we'll say it's, you know, it's five past seven, it's quarter past seven. It'll tell you something like that up at the top, which I find quite useful. Widget smith is a paid app or a subscription app, but that part of it is free. So I thought that was quite nice to, to make use of. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you want to. And I changed my font to be black and white on my clock. And that's been it really, as far as widgets are concerned for me. Yeah, so it feels like we're in a similar sort of boat. We've got a bit of weather on the go and some things important to us. I probably should have another play because I think a lot of the widgets I've got are the ones I probably put on in the beta and I haven't really done anything with it since. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things that's going to change and particularly you with the always on screen, I think they have an opportunity to do something really interesting with widgets on there. Like, for example, the Pixel phone I had has their sort of always listening in the background thing and will tell you what song it can hear playing in the background on your always on lock screen. I think something like that with Shazam would be really cool. Not sure if I like the sound that's always listening, though. Always watching. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> but it's an interesting use. And the way it works in the Pixel phone is it's on device. It's not going off to the cloud to do it. It's from its own database of what's on device. It's a, it's a much smaller thing. I think they've got 20,000 songs and whatever the passengers are to recognize them or something on there. It's not every song ever, but it's still quite a nice little implementation. Yeah, it's quite cool, isn't it? It is. And Apple have the technology with shazam and the technology with the always on lock screen now to do that so something like that would be interesting yeah i'd be interested to see where people go with it i haven't seen anything though that's blown me away yet yeah and that's maybe the downfall of this as you've said that it's interesting implementation the always on lock screen the reviews and what you've said it, it, people find it quite unnerving oh my phone's still on you know and or it's very bright so that's going to be quite hard to adjust to you know and it's early days yet maybe we'll get the hang of it I would imagine two weeks from now, I'll be so used to it. I'll know that the screen's just dim. Whereas I think it's a lot brighter than everybody anticipated. So you think, oh no, I've left my phone on. And I haven't really. Because so, they could have just like blacked out the whole wallpaper and then it'd probably be a bit more obvious. Whereas because they faded the wallpaper, you're like, oh no, I've left it on kind of thing. Fair enough. Okay. That's it for our lock screens. I hadn't been running the watchOS update until the final version came out. And I just wanted to say, I've noticed a couple of little things about it that you, you probably got used to because I think you were running the beta on your watch. I like the new workout app. I think it's quite good. It's a, it seems a bit more immediate in terms of what it's getting for information for my heart rate when I'm out doing a workout or something like that. Distance travels, splits. I quite like the new use of color across it as well. I think it's actually quite a well-written app. And I can imagine if it was a more extreme person who did more running or, or, or something like that, it would be even more useful for what it's making use of. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think annoyingly watch os 9 is not the most exciting updates what do you think about all the notifications being smaller when they overlay on top of the clock yeah it's more like the phone now where you get the little pop-up at the top to say you know something has changed on it they're a bit hard to read i know i'm an older bloke but i find them a bit hard to read i thought exactly the same but you've got a bigger watch face me so i thought maybe they scaled more in yours but no i, I thought the same they just seemed a little small you're taking up a third of the screen or a quarter of the screen why not just take up a little bit more? Yeah. It's more that something's happened than what actually has happened. You know, I can identify the app from the icon that something's changed and I might go there next. But yeah, I'm with you. It's not the greatest implementation in the world. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. The one thing I like that only came out of the event was the new Compass app. Interestingly, the icon's got a bit of 3D to the arrow on it and it just looked 
look quite nice and then when you go into the app i just think the design direction is quite cool on it so curious to see where they go with that. i can see we're trying to have the campus as we speak but i just quite like that and i wonder whether that's maybe there's gonna be a slight change in their aesthetic for doing icons and it actually have a bit of 3d-ness to it because i think it's got very flat lately I agree with you. And that, you're right. You're quite right. I am trying out as we speak here. Yeah, that looks an awful lot better. I notice also that in the bottom right-hand right -hand corner, the backtrack feature is now available. So if you're trying to work your way back to your Everest base camp, you can do that immediately in the Compass app too, even on the My Generation hardware. That yeah, I think you can do it on everybody's. It's, you know, that, I think that's why the, what, the Series 8 was really unappealing to anybody because a lot of the software features came to all the devices. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's that's solid. The the height part of the compass in the top left corner is pretty cool as well. It's always having your old sort of direction southwest, in my case, because that's the way I happen to be pointing, you know, and it gives you your latitude and longitude as well. I'd quite like to see companies like What Three Words and, and, uh, and others do some sort of implementation in this way as well. Compass, What Three Words, you know, th those kind of information are really important for emergency services and things too, just finding your friends. So yeah, that's that's a good implementation. I hadn't noticed that and, and thank you for pointing it out because it's pretty damn cool. Yeah, I just thought it looked cool. So I've got quite a look at I did try, and I, this is—I don't know if this is more of a feeling than anything. We were messaging in the week. I said I felt my watch battery had got, and then I tried my because I was running the new Metropolitan watch face, which I quite like because it was red. I was trying to copy the one that I'd seen on the Apple Watch Ultra that they showed in the in the presentation, so I'd have a nice red watch face, which I thought looked oh, quite yeah. good. Absolutely hammered my battery. Honestly, it was it costing me twenty percent more battery to run the Metropolitan watch face than it was my usual. So I've stopped using the Metropolitan watch face and I've gone back to my normal modular. And uh, that seems to have sort of been... It's a bit odd, though, isn't it? It is a bit odd. It seems a bit odd. Unless red's more expensive to use on an OLED? I don't know. It just seems bizarre to me. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But anyway, it is what it is. So I'm, I'm quite happy back on modular anyway. But I did quite enjoy having Metropolitan on for a bit. It's not a bad-looking watch face. The fonts are a little bit weird on some of the time because it's an analog face. You know, the 1, the 3, and the 9 look a bit... Uh, 12, the 3, and the 9 look a little bit odd. But it is what it is. So that was that. Yeah. I should probably spend five minutes and just design a new watch face because I haven't done it for ages. I, I Occasionally, I kind of have 10 minutes and do it, and then I leave it for a year, and then I go back to it and tweak it. Generally, when a new watch face comes out, I have a look at it to see if I like it better. And I, I like the thoughts of having an analog watch, but actually, it doesn't work that well on the Apple Watch. It's not an analog watch. It's a digital watch. So I just embrace it, and I go with a digital face these days. I'm a bit mixed, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. Sometimes I th usually have the analog for family focus, and then the digital one when I'm at work, like I say, with my meetings on it. Fair enough. Okay, I think that'll do us for features. And of course, if we come across any others, we'll report back on them as well. I'm, I'm aware we're building up other things like our note-taking apps that we need to revisit at some point too. It gives us more time to bottom them out. But sort of one of the things that as we're coming towards the end of the show here is that I noticed on 9to5Mac that they were running a poll on what the best new iPhone 14 feature was. And you having one, I think you're in a better position than me to talk about this. So they asked people to vote on what they found was the best iPhone feature. It looks like several thousand people have taken the poll at this point. So that's that's interesting and linked to it in the show notes as always. So what they list as being the best features are Dynamic Island, Always on Display, Satellite Connectivity, Crash Detection, 48 megapixel camera sensor, New Colors, Action Mode, A1 and Bionic Chip, other see comments so we'll ignore the other because it's not very well responded to either the highest with 46.99 percent of the votes is dynamic island would you have voted dynamic island so I, i'm just pausing for thought because i'm looking at the list and so why, why don't we do it slightly differently so crash detection i can't say it's the best feature i haven't used it yet but i'm sure if it saves my life i'd probably go straight to the top 
same with satellite connectivity, but it's not available in our areas. So that's out for me. New colors. I've gone for an old color anyway, the, the white silvery color, which is quite silver in some lights on the back. So I wouldn't really choose that. I haven't used action mode. The A16 Bionic chip, I probably wouldn't put that in there either because the phone performs fine, but my last one was fine. I wasn't screaming for a new chip, so I wouldn't say it's any of those. So for me, that then brings us down to the 48 megapixel camera, the always on display or dynamic island. I do think the camera is fantastic, by the way. I love it. I probably wouldn't say it's dynamic island. I think it's a good implementation, but it probably wasn't the biggest feature drive for me to upgrade. So for me, I think it'd be between the camera or the always on display. I quite like the look of the display in that I don't, need to, I don't need to keep picking up my phone all the time. I can see if I've got a notification. So, ooh, I think ones I use every day would be always on display. I would always use that. And I think very close second will be the 48 megapixel camera because when I do take a photo, I know I'm going to be excited to do it. And I know when I get it back on the iPad and put it on the studio display, it's going to look quality. Whereas there's nothing worse than you take a photo and it looks great on a little screen. You get back and you put it on your iPad. It's like, oh. It's nowhere near as good as what I thought it was going to be. So that's how I would do it. And the reason why I think Dynamic Island for me is in third is it's a great implementation, but it's not really unlocked any functionality. It wasn't there before. It's just surfacing that one feature really out of control center. And it's a more cohesive way of putting all the alerts together for when you charge, when you put your AirPods in. So that's how I've come to that. I do like the always on screen. And I wasn't really that fussed about the always on display, but now I've had it for a couple of days. I kind of like it like i said I just glance my phone i don't i don't even need to pick it up i don't need to be you know if, if you're chatting to somebody in a meeting and your phone's just sat there you know whether you need to pick it up and check for anything because it will be on the screen so i'm going to say always on that's great and you've summarized the top three res- results in this poll anyway which were the dynamic island the always on display and the 48 megapixel camera sensor so uh, that's an interesting way to go through it that, that, that you know they are the things that were most impressive to people and yeah that's very interesting yeah, but they're also things you spent most time on in the keynote. They're the biggest advances, I think, year on year. So I'm amazed so many people went, like 2% of the votes went for the chip or the action mode thing. But, you know, I guess it's the joy of, you know, surveying so many people. Yeah, I mean, action mode is the thing where you film somebody. It's taking out shudder and stutter and shaking for the person when you follow along behind them, which to my understanding actually crops in on whatever camera sensor it is you've chosen to use so it can digitally remove the sort of the stutter because it's making use, more use of the sensor yeah I, I assumed it would be cropping in so that it can compensate for the movement of the lens basically yeah um, i haven't used it I don't, I don't really take videos on my phone at all that's fair enough and you would think people that wanted that would use a gopro they're not necessarily like the best camera is the one you have with you obviously but that, i'm not surprised it hasn't had the sort of huge the huge response to the poll that some of the other features have. But that, yeah, that's interesting. Agreed. Good. Okay. Just a fun little thing to do from time to time. I've got two more items. Have you got anything else you want to tap on at the end here before we call it a show, Chris? Nothing for me. So just one quick one, a little hack. Well, it's not a hack. It's just it might not be immediately apparent to someone. If you have an iPhone that's running iOS 16, you may be able to get away with filling in captures on your phone. Now, this setting may already be set for you, but if it's not... You can turn on a couple of things in settings and maybe not have to see them anymore. Effectively, captures are the little things where it shows you traffic lights or it shows you a number of cars in the street or bicycles or something like that. And you click on them a few times. Sometimes you have to do it more than once, actually. And then you sort of progress onto the website. But actually, 
the tokens for them can be taken over by the iPhone and it will do it for you. So I won't talk through how to do it here, but effectively go into settings, passwords and security and flip on an option. And you can maybe not see captures anymore on your iPhone. I just thought it was a nice little quality of life improvement. You may not be doing it here, but I most definitely am. You just did it while I was talking. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> was it turned on by default? This looks fantastic. I haven't got that yet. I've just got to put my password in. I yeah. thought this would be under like Safari, but you were saying it's it's in it's in passwords and security and settings, yeah. Passwords and security. So I, I know it's already turned on. Yeah, good, but it's worth checking that it is because there's little things like that. And the other one was the haptics on the keyboard. When you type, it will give you a little haptic response as well, which is in keyboard settings, I think. That it's just a nice little solid quality of life improvement. It's not in keyboard, isn't it? It's in sounds and haptics because I had to turn this on when I got my phone. I reset it. So sounds and haptics. I think if you go down where it says keyboard feedback, you can turn on the sound and the haptic is two independent settings. There you go. It's it's a nice little quality thing as well because I hate the ticking noise when you type. It's the first thing I always turned off on any phone. But this is actually a reasonable thing. It gives you a little bit more accuracy when you're typing, I feel. And doesn't annoy those people around you. That too. Good. So that's a nice little uh, quality of life feature. I wonder if the, the other things that will get surfaced over time that we actually miss during the beta process are good. And my last thing is an app that I found and it's called Later. It's a free app. The website is linked in the show notes. And all it does is it gives you a little arrow up in your, your, your menu bar up near the clock on your Mac with a little button on it that saves, says save windows for later. And if you're about to go on that Teams call or you're about to go on that Zoom call and you've got 3,000 windows open, which I often do because I'm doing research and all the rest of it, you can tap the Save Windows for Later button and it hides everything on your screen except the Zoom call. Isn't that just doing like hide others? It may well be doing that, but it's you can actually quit the apps and it will remember their state as well. So it's doing a little bit more than that if you choose to. Cool. If it worked on the iPad, I'd give it a go. Yeah, I I know it's not a useful tip for you, but others who you listen to this podcast may have Macs and it might be useful for useful to them. So it's very quick. Save Windows to later. You finish your call, call, you click the button again, and it restores them exactly the location they were in, exactly the state they were in. It's just a well-written little app, and it's free, so why not give it a shout out? I think that's quite cool, actually. Like you say, if you just want a quick, clean desktop, job done. Brilliant. Yep. Yep, it's a good one. Should we call it a day? I think we'll call it a show. I think it was a good one. Thank you to everybody for listening. And if you want to get in contact, do email us at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or you can reach out on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Good show, Chris. Yeah, cheers, Rod. Speak soon. Speak soon next week.